Looking for the perfect gift for yourself or the beer lover in your life? Check out beeredge.com slash merch for all of your Defend Pilsner and Camp Rauk Beer needs. And also, don't forget to get with us on social media for the This Week in Rauk Beer Facebook group or at TW Rauk Beer on Instagram and Twitter to show us your smoked beers. Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. I'm John Hall. Let's talk about farming and being local. And then let's talk food and beer pairings. And then let's talk about some pizza. It's a fun conversation with Sean Lilly Wilson of Full Steam Brewing in North Carolina. But first up, we're able to bring you this show each week thanks to these advertisers. Stomp Stickers. Stomp is a proud member of the Brewers Association that produces a wide variety of printed brewery products, such as beer labels, keg collars, coasters, beer boxes, and much more. Stomp's website features an easy-to-use design tool, low-quantity orders, fast turnaround times, and free domestic shipping. Visit stompstickers.com and use code DRINKBEER15 for 15% off your first order. And we're also brought to you by NZ Hops, a cooperative of master growers whose legend and cultivars have been crafted for over 150 years with creativity and passion to produce some of the world's finest hops. With a dedicated hop breeding program and farming knowledge handed down through the generations, the current day master growers proudly provide 18 unique New Zealand hop varieties to the world. Visit nzhops.co.nz or find them on Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn at nzhopsltd to learn more. So you'll hear how I first met Sean Lily Wilson a little later on in the show. But what I didn't know back then, and what I've come to experience over the course of nearly a decade, is his commitment to food, drink, hospitality, creativity, culture, and community. Outside of Fullsteam, the brewery he launched in 2010, much of the growth of North Carolina as a premier beer state has to do with the efforts he mounted with a dedicated group of others to change the state's then Byzantine beer laws and restrictions. It was an effort called Pop the Cap, and its impact is still felt today. His efforts haven't stopped with the laws, but have now moved on to the land. Through the brewery, with work within the state guild, and in conversations with other brewing professionals, he wants to help Southern agriculture grow and thrive. He's called it Plow to Pint, and the beers that he's brewing, along with his team, have produced and bear the fruit of that hard work. Nationally, he's been recognized four times by the James Beard Foundation as a semifinalist in the Outstanding Wine, Spirits, or Beer Producer category. And personally, he's just a nice guy to talk to. He's thoughtful and earnest and an incredibly hard worker. At the brewery, he goes by CEO, Chief Executive Optimist, and works to bring forward thinking to both the original brewery in Durham, as well as a new location, which opened on the day that this episode was recorded, a day before it aired to you. It'll focus on pizza and beer pairings, something that might sound simple, but is actually a tightrope walk. We'll get there eventually, but we start with the land and farming. He spoke to me from his car phone via Zoom, driving to the new spot. Here's our conversation. The harvest season, at least on the East Coast, is largely behind us. There might still be a couple of other things that are coming up. I know agriculture has played such an important role in your brewery from even before day one. And I'm wondering if there's anything that was harvested this year that is soon to make its way into one of your beers 
that you're feeling particularly excited about? Oh, I, yeah, what a fun question. And thanks for knowing that about what we do at Full Steam, for sure. Um, I, I would have to give that nod to the uh, Forge persimmons that we're working with. Uh, we're going to make First Frost our, um, our kind of uh, winter warmer Belgian uh, Forge persimmon ale. And um, we're brewing that this Friday. And uh, just this morning, I was working with some of the uh, the, the persimmons themselves and making a, like a, a sort of a puree out of it for use for, for some cookies that we're going to do. So, uh, you know, folding it both into beer and food. I love persimmons. I, have, you I, ever, have you ever had a, 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 a like a, a wild persimmon? I don't think I have. I'm trying to rack my brain. So I'm, I'm, I'm now going to look to you for, for flavor notes. Well, they're like apricotty and savory and a little naturally spicy with some sort of uh, underlying kind of like almost like cinnamon flavor to it, which works obviously really well for this time of year. Um, it depends what kind of persimmon you're talking about. For us, we, we forage for the native persimmon, the Virginianus, is, is a Diosporus Virginianus. Um, and uh, the, the other persimmons that are more common in like grocery stores are the Fuyu and the Hachia both delicious, but uh, more tortured and domesticated. These are little, almost ping pong size or, or small golf ball sized uh, fruits that, that grow in the wild. Is, is it akin almost to cider apples versus culinary apples? Ooh, this, the ciderist uh, and the apple enthusiast would, would, would uh, flinch at that. I, I okay. would say <laughs> one one is just been. They don't listen to the show anyway, uh, they, so I'm not worried about it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I one has been left to the wild as a as a as a as a a farm border and a specimen tree and just kind of a, a it just grows in the wild or is used to border properties um, or used as windbreak and um, in some cases the, the fruit is looked on as a as a nuisance as sort of like trash. Uh, and, and, uh, and, and, you know, for the, for the animals, more for the, for the people. And I think that's one thing that's interesting, interesting about the, the southern culinary landscape is that we're finally learning to appreciate these things that grow around us instead of just venerating things that come from afar, be it persimmons or, or pawpaws. Um, so I forget if I answered your question on that. Well, no, it's uh, pawpaws has come up on Steal the Spear recently. Um with that, that, that seems to be showing its way into, in, into beers more and more these days. It's just a great flavor for, for beer. It works so well that that tropical little bit of funk, it folds into hops beautifully. Uh, yeah, pawpaws are a lot of fun. Now, the challenge with uh, pawpaws is that they don't do so well cooking. You lose a lot of the aromatics. With persimmons, they hold up to the heat much better, and so you can see them in... Um, they, they play well in beer, but also work for things like pudding and cookies, uh, and, you know, savory and fish, but sweet. Yeah. So you have roughly 11 or so years of professional brewing now where you've been uh, going and, and, and trying to use local uh, agricultural products in, in your beers. Um, and it's interesting hearing about pawpaws and, you know, uh, you know, or, or persimmons, you know, losing, um, uh, not being great for cooking, you know, losing some of their aromatics during, during heat. Um, you've done a lot of trial and error over the years, right? 
with 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 yeah. not just those two ingredients, but but a lot of the others, because um, a sure. lot of these weren't in beers before you were making them. Mm. Yeah, um, definitely early uh, to to take chances and to figure out how to make them work and to work with agricultural suppliers, value added processors, maltsters to ensure that. Uh, they're providing us with the type of ingredient that we need. So, um, you know, the thing that the customer doesn't always see is that that kind of experimentation and refinement of something that uh, you want to celebrate agriculture, but you also, uh, for beer, need consistency. And if we've learned anything about agriculture over the past 10 years or so, it's anything but consistent. Um, yeah. that, that is certainly a challenge. But that's an interesting thing, though, of, you know, being able to tell the growers what you need, you know, because you probably didn't even know yourself first time around. For sure. I mean, a, a lot of credit goes to um, Chris Davis, our first uh, head brewer, who uh, endured a lot of those long mash days with sweet potatoes as we tried to figure out how to work with them the best way. And. Uh, and credit to uh, one John Hall who drank the uh, uh, first iteration of our Carver Sweet Potato Lager, which <sighs> I, I I fondly remember to this day the the year telling of the fact that the beer has gotten better. I mean, it has, um, right? You know. So you and I, I, I was thinking about this before you came on the show. I, that's where you and I first met was that North Carolina event in New York City, right? Yes, sir. So for, for background for the listeners, uh, the North Carolina Tourism Board. Oh, wait, board, there's, there's listeners here? Yeah. Well, I mean, like one or two. Um, I thought we were just chatting. <laughs> oh, my God. I have to think through this. That's the, right, that's sorry, the great mystique of the show. Um, but North Carolina <laughs> put on a tourism board thing in New York City where they tried to get travel media to come to showcase how great North Carolina is. And I got an invite because you were going to be there. Uh, pouring North Carolina beers. And I had a lot of fun chatting with you. We had never met before. Uh, you're pouring beers, uh, drinking, having a really good time, tasting through a lot of like really great stuff. Um, and then towards the end, you pulled out a bottle and you gave me you know, a beer and you, know, you asked for my opinion on it. And I didn't care for it. And I was fairly blunt in my assessment of the beer and then made the rookie mistake of saying, well, who made it? And a, a very, uh, you were very polite in your response when you informed me that it was in fact your beer, and it was the early iteration of Carver. And uh, but then the next year you came back and you had it again, like you were ready for it. You were, you know, happy to, you know, <laughs> I don't know, happy is the right word, but you wanted me to give it a go again, and it was better. And you know, now whenever I have the chance to drink it, because it has gotten better. Um, and that's what I guess what I was what I was sort of hinting about uh, with, without showing that I was a real asshole back in the day of insulting your beers. But um, y y you and your brewers have learned how to work with things or how you want things to present in the beers. And it's not just as easy as putting a syrup in or an extract or puree or something like it's it's a lot yeah, harder than there's that. a. Yeah, it's it's uh, and. So our our mission and our passion is is building this southern beer economy that we really want to buy local to help farmers and foragers and like I said agricultural entrepreneurs to create economic opportunity in uh, the South, particularly North Carolina, 
known for its tobacco. Well, tobacco is not a thing anymore. And, and our idea was and will always be, what if, what if beer could be a means of economic opportunity uh, for the agricultural sector? And so in doing so and in, in talking with these suppliers and farmers, right, uh, we, we, we had to tell them what we needed and what we're looking for. And we had to learn ourselves how to make it work. Um, and thankfully, we had enough customers who trusted us or who were along for the adventure that they could um, be with us as we did some noble experiments. I never wanted to do it at the expense of our customers because they pay money and they expect to get value out of it. But um, it is one of those um, difficult things to, to go through and uh, to to stumble uh, a little along the way. And, and uh, you know, we still make Carver, but we make it for a reason. It's because people love the beer. Uh, there's an audience for it. Uh, yeah. And and it's really, it's really, really good now. It wasn't as good as we were talking about. And, and that's a, that's like, how do you tell that the right way? Because, you know, in the, in the meantime, like we, we do, I do think we sort of, you know, kind of quietly pave the way for this idea of working with local ingredients. Um, and, uh, and we, we, we took the brunt of, of it a little bit as we, as we made some, uh, mistakes and we refined our, our vision and our process and our beers. And it certainly wasn't easy for the staff, you know, as we kind of suffered through inefficiencies and, uh, and batches that didn't quite work out the way we want, but I mean, we're, we're still at it. 11 years later. And, and meanwhile, the cool thing is that we're, you know, before too long, we're going to approach a, a million dollars worth of agricultural spending. So we buy uh, locally as we endeavor to figure this out. There's a certain amount of humility that has to come with that, though, of I, I don't talk to too many brewers who, you know, will say that previous beers weren't all that good or weren't up to snuff. And there's a lot of there's a lot of pride uh, that comes with putting out beer. And I think correctly so. Um, it's not easy uh, to do. It's not for everybody. Um, and you know, nobody really likes getting negative feedback. But it, it, it sounds like maybe not by embracing that, but leaning into it just a little bit, you've been able to make the brewery stronger and forge a deeper connection Thank with, you. with your drinkers. Thank you. I mean, I, I think it maybe, and I'm just riffing here, but it might even symbolize the South in a way uh, in that the, the, to, to make distinctly Southern beer is already saying uh, we acknowledge the challenge, um, join the adventure and let's see where this thing goes. There's a lot of Southern branding on your, on your beers, um, in your messaging. I know when you first started, there was a lot of regionality to beer. Um, you know, I, the, the, the line that I think I used to use in, in articles was, you know, that the South was a tough beer nut to crack. Um, you know, craft had a really tough time getting a, a, a toehold in, um, you know, even if the numbers haven't grown, the, the, the general awareness among all beer drinkers, uh, it, people know that small breweries exist, like craft breweries, microbreweries, whatever, um, are, are, are out there. Is regionality still important? Hmm. 
we talk about what regionality means and what local means a lot. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know if that's a rhetorical question with an obvious answer um, or a challenge uh, in staying, um, I don't want to say relevant, but like, I, I will say that the, a decade ago, the idea of all these kind of local flavors and new things like, you know, this people had not heard of this and that ingredient and in, native to their region. And um, there certainly was a lot more kind of interest on, on the culinary side, say, like call it farm to table or what have you. Um, and once you tell that story, then what? Right. And so how do you how do you keep people interested in a persimmon beer if they've had it before in an untapped era? Right. And so, um, it, it, it can be, it can be a, a bit of a challenge. Uh, but, uh, but at the same time, we're still making a lot of these beers that we started with, like every summer we're making Southern basil, um, with, uh, North Carolina basil and North Carolina wheat, the very first beer we ever brewed on our system. And, um, you know, the, I, I, so I think, um, man, I don't know. I, I, is it okay to say I don't know on your podcast? Of course it is. No, and I, I, it's it's a really mature answer, actually. Because mm. I, I, yeah. I, I guess I mean I, I think I was thinking, the, I, yeah. No, I just real quick. What I maybe to try to do a better job of answering that and say is one of the secrets to our success is our kind of both and approach. Is so we our best seller now is our paycheck pilsner, and it's a tasty pilsner. It has some North Carolina grain in it. And I'd like to build and do more follow the lead of like Oscar blues and Allagash and, and make our flagship beers more locally malt based. I think that's a big, you know, challenge and move for us as a midsize brewery to be able to make that leap. I would, you know, I really hope that we can do that, but it's a Pilsner and it's a fungible beer, you know, our other, uh, big, um, uh, successful beer or, or like a, the one that we sell the most of is an, is an IPA. So great Pilsner and IPA. And then we have our pale ale, right. And it's like, um, it's not, uh, it, it's not the pawpaw, uh, you know, hazy IPA or the persimmon, uh, winter ale. Um, those are nice little accents. And, um, and I, I, I think that's how we as a midsize brewery, you know, in, in the six to 8,000 barrel range, um, uh, are able to survive is that we we uh, respect the the fact that a lot of our customers be at the grocery store or, uh, uh, coming to our taverns they they just want a good pilsner um, yeah. but yeah. we get to we get to play and have fun with this thing that's our ethos uh, that's our that that's our that's our passion and I know a lot of breweries do that with their experimental and small batches what we're trying to do is quietly infuse the Southern economy into as much of the beer as we possibly can afford. I like that. It's, uh, are you finding that the agricultural segment has responded in a, in a positive way? I mean, aside from just very much you, yeah. know, you writing them checks. Yeah. But I mean, it really does start with the checks. I, you know, in all honesty, like, <laughs> yeah, I, I, it, it, it's the best early on. We talk about persimmons early on. We tried this trade thing where we would, um, you know, we were like, Oh, we'll trade you for beer. Right. And, and the, 
I think the wow, amount you're like, of you're beer like that people your thought they were getting college apartment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Beer they just thought they were just going to get. Yeah. Oh my god! Your supply of beer for this like you know basket of persimmons and um, commerce. I say this uh, a lot because it's it's true. Commerce is the great equalizer. Cash. People understand cash. People understand um, weight and pounds. Uh, sorry, weight. I screwed that up. People understand uh, pounds and dollars, right? Um, yeah. And so that was a quick lesson early on was just like, come up with a, a cost per pound or a value per pound and express your appreciation to them through cash. Write them checks and be a, 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 a forager, you know, a family that uh, uh, th- there's this one family that came for years to bring us persimmons. And uh, the woman quietly told me, like, you know, just, just as a side comment, but it stuck with me. She's like, this is the kid's Christmas month. Like, this is what she used to buy Christmas gifts, right? <sighs> That's so cool, right? Yeah. So we're writing checks to express appreciation for her, and we're writing checks to our local maltster to appreciate the work that they're doing with their local farmers who could plant something else very easily. They could plant subsidized corn or soybeans, but they're with us on this adventure trying to refine um, grain to make it consistent and uh, usable for, for our needs, uh, for, you know, for a, 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 a Pilsner or an IPA. And yeah, yeah the response has been great, but it, it starts with the respect that, um, that fair payment, uh, proffers. That's so cool to hear. It's, you know, I, and, and we've had farmers on the show and, you know, maltsters on the show. And, and I, I, I love that there is this new generation that's coming up as well, as well as, you know, a lot of the older generation as well, that's adapting and changing um, and looking to beer and spirits, um, you know, for ingredients, uh, you know, to sort of help grow the industry and to sort of keep their, you know, passions and traditions alive and, you know, their family under a roof and fed. Um, you know, I, I, think I, the I challenge that, John honestly yeah. is just getting people, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 please. I think the challenge is just getting people to continue to care that it's not a trend, that it's not just like, a, oh, yeah, that was, you know, that was fun. Remember when we ate local or remember when we spent, you know, like, how do you get it to matter for the long term? Because, you know, a farmer gets um, like we can dump a batch if it doesn't work out. Right. Like we can dump a batch and we dump batches like it does. Like you take that loss and you move on. And within a couple more weeks or so, you have a, 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 another uh, effort, another endeavor, another hopefully successful batch. A, a farmer has like 30 chances to get it right in her lifetime, 30, 40, maybe, yeah. you know? And so you, God, I never thought about it that way. Yeah. Of, yeah. I mean, it's it, the asking them to take that risk and, um, uh, take that chance on something that has that, um, much investment and, uh, and labor and time with the uncertain payoff. Um, we don't thank our farmers enough for that. And we're asking them to invest in um, this concept of local grains and local malt, local beer uh, for the long haul. And it, for it to be sustainable, it just can't be a, a, an ephemeral trend. It has to be a way of life. And at the same time, we have to we have to price our beers. We've made the decision to price our beers competitively with others in the grocery store, other pilsners and 
and pale ales, you know, um, and, and that, that's a challenge for sure. Um, but we're, we're gaining enough support in this whole quest to like what we said was pioneering a Southern beer economy pioneering meant we were the first one, but we're not the only ones by any stretch of the imagination. Some arguably have usurped us in terms of their investment and their commitment to it. But, um, you know, if we were the only ones, this would be like a Southern beer business, but we're trying to build a Southern beer economy. And I do think not only have the, uh, the farmers and the maltsters been on board, but I mean, look at all the breweries, especially like locally that are also buying from, uh, Epiphany and Riverbend and Carolina Malt House and, um, uh, working with local seasonal ingredients. Um, it's, it's really cool. Yeah. What about the ones that aren't though? Because local is one of those buzzwords that's been used, you know, along with craft and independent and some of these other things where it can be sort of like grabbing smoke at some point of, of, you know, what does this actually mean? And if you do have, you know, a lot of breweries that say, okay, well, this is locally made, you know, but they're not using the local maltsters, you know, they're just talking about, okay, we have a, you know, a brewery in city X uh, somewhere down South. And, you know, this is where our ingredients come from all around the world. And we make it here. Uh, we're local. Is there, does there need to be differentiation between those breweries and the culture that you're trying to build? That's up to the consumer. Uh, for me, um, yeah. it doesn't matter. They're just as local as, as we are. I, I can't uh, quibble on, on that. It doesn't seem worthwhile when they're hiring local people and, uh, you know, uh, selling to local restaurants. And it, it, it's, it's, a, it's somewhat variations on a theme. Um, I guess for me, I just think about sense of place and like, what does local mean from a sense of place? And if a, if a beer drinker, beer enthusiast um, feels that sense of place by supporting their, their local uh, brew pub that makes um, a delicious uh, ESB from, you know, uh, English malts, then that's great. You know, I, I, it's, it's just where you feel a sense of community and a sense of place where you feel like you're making an impact. That's local to me. For me, okay. it's agriculture. That's my sense of local, but I'm not going to frown on it. Other people's idea of what local is. I guess I just want people to think about it, especially in an era of like um, convenience and delivery and, um, and um, kind of maybe the, the third place has taken a little bit of a backseat as we deal with COVID and kind of the lingering uh, repercussions of all of that. And, uh, and I, I guess I just don't want our town to become any town, you know, and, and my way of fighting that is by telling the story of the ingredients and the stories that make this area unique and encouraging other people to celebrate that. Uh, encouraging our, our customers to to explore that with us. Um, but there are 8,000 breweries with 8,000 local stores. More with Sean Lilly Wilson in a minute. But first, when it comes to printed brewery products, head to Stomp Stickers. The company is a reliable resource for printed items such as beer labels and boxes, keg collars, coasters, and more. Visit stompstickers.com and use code DRINKBEER15 for 15% off your first order. 
And we're also brought to you by NZ Hops, a cooperative of master growers whose legend and cultivars have been crafted for over 150 years to produce some of the world's finest hops. NZ Hops are like no others, unique in their flavors and aromas. Visit nzhops.co.nz to explore more. And now back to my conversation with Sean Lilly Wilson of Full Steam Brewing in North Carolina. I want to switch gears um, because you mentioned the word culinary before. And whenever the topic of beer and food pairings come up or people ask me, you know, where have you had great, uh, great experiences? Um, I often think about the times that I was able to, to visit your place and, uh, and to, to talk with you um, about the intersection of beer and food. And when I guess approached with this question, how do you, where do you see the intersection? Where do you see the, um, you know, the two coming mm-hmm. together? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks for the kind words. That's really <laughs> amazing of you to say. I really appreciate that. And I think a lot about uh, beer and food, mostly because I, I started off waiting tables of, uh, well, I have waiting tables. Can you call it waiting tables when you work at a Ponderosa at age 14? <laughs> I, I, probably, uh, probably a stretch. But, um, you know, I've been, I, it started in the, in the uh, restaurant world and, and worked all the way up until my mid-20s um, at, at, a, at a nice, really nice restaurant, a James Beard Award-winning uh, uh, husband and wife team uh, at Magnolia Grill here in Durham. And... Um, I think it, that really shaped a lot of my love of Southern uh, foodways and, uh, and wine and how wine worked with those dishes and those ingredients. And that's really informed our philosophy on beer in that um, we, we sometimes uh, we do treat it as a dance that sometimes the, the food that you're enjoying, or for that matter, the, the moment on the front porch uh, is what takes center stage or is the lead in it. And in the background is the beer supplementing it and enhancing it and making it even greater. Right. Um, And that can be a challenge in today's beer scene. Although I think we're kind of backing off of the beer, 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 everything is beer first and foremost uh, obsession and realizing that beer is a complement to other things. But that, from a culinary standpoint, has always been uh, my preference, that beer uh, should enhance food and build upon it, either through combining flavors or contrasting or cutting flavors. But it's not trying to, it shouldn't try, at least for us, not try to be food. Um, and I've, I've, it's been an uphill battle um, because I think there's been this ongoing um, interest in replicating the flavors of a dish in a beer. Yeah. That doesn't interest me. I just don't care about that. Um, I'd rather enjoy that dish and have a beer that goes with it. Well, I mean, to to that point, it's not even replicating. It's taking, you know, the the chemical flavors of, or whatever, and putting it into a Mm -hmm. beer. It's not trying to, you know, use hops or malt or, you know, other specialty, excuse me, other specialty ingredients or traditional ingredients to build up flavor profiles. It's saying, okay, you know, we want this beer to taste like cotton candy. Um, we now have cotton candy extract. It's in our Blondale. There you go. 
Like there's not like a ton of art in that. Um, yeah. Is that, you know, it's like, is that craft? Is that culinary? Is that the best we can do? Um, and, you know, I think we as brewers have to ask ourselves, uh, are we, are we, are we really innovating here uh, or are we just That's the uh, word. mimicking? Yeah. Or are we just mimicking the things that we see around us? Um, and I, I, I will stick by the, the, our, our passion and belief that, that, that the best beers are sometimes ones that sit in the background that uh, let other things take center stage. So when it comes to beer and food pairings, I, 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 in anticipation of this interview with you, I was looking at your menu for Durham, and then you were just kind enough to share the uh, the menu for uh, the new place that you are currently en route to, if you're not there already. Uh, and when we'll talk mm-hmm. about that in just a second. But what, what I was struck by the menu when I really sort of dialed into it was knowing you, knowing your restaurant history, knowing your, uh, you know, various James Beard accolades, uh, your Southern hospitality, uh, extreme dinners that you've been to in the past. What I was struck with (laughs) was the subtlety that's in the menu where Mm. nothing is really over the top, but every dish has something that is just slightly askew from what you know the norm might be or what you know you might get at a ponderosa um uh, you know like, so, just so it's, slightly it's just from like, the ponderosa. <laughs> right. you haven't come too far you're in the parking lot now um but 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 i guess i it, it sounds like more like an insult than anything else but i don't mean it that way of it's not a tradition it, it's it on the surface it might look like a traditional dish but then when you just look a little bit deeper, you see that there's something else in there that mm-hmm. tweaks it and makes it a little bit more special, but still doesn't distract or is standing over, you know, in the middle of the room saying like screaming, look at me. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I call that the tilt of the head. Have we talked about that before? I don't believe so. So the tilt of the head is, uh, this is really exciting because you're, you're like, your lead in was like exactly what I'm trying to do with, um, well, what we're trying to do, uh, through our, our great, uh, chef leaders and, and through the brewery, uh, uh, crew. Um, but the tilt of the head is, is that like that thing that the dog does when it hears a sound, that's just, you know, unusual, right. That yeah. little tilt of the head. Um, and we try to do things that are just tilt of the head to, to engage the, tell me more because if the sound is too discordant or it's too um, chaotic, then the, you know, in this metaphor, right. The dog will turn away, right. The person will just be like, I'm out. There's like, I don't know. Right? But the goal is the tilt of the head, enough curiosity to pique the interest. When you were thinking about the new place, um, your, your, your new venture uh, that you're on your way to mm-hmm. right now, um, I imagine you wanted it to be not just a carbon copy, you know, not just, you know, Ponderosa in the next town over, um, like cookie cutter <laughs> thing. Um, 
How did you I'm land? I'm so on... glad that I mentioned I worked at Ponderosa. Oh man, I'm just I'm going to dine out on this for years now. This is this is going to be my the new Ponderosa episode. <laughs> brought to you hey, Ponderosa, by Rubber Steak. Yeah, I, <laughs> I at least it's Ponderosa. If you're listening, I at least want a free salad when I come in next. <laughs> I'm sorry, um, I interrupted. <laughs> no, no, that that's fine. I I love that you still go to Ponderosa. <laughs> when was the last time actually that you were inside of a Ponderosa? When I was 14 and a half. <laughs> but, but those salads uh, yeah. made an impression on you. Good on you. Um, <laughs> I imagine you wanted to do something different and not just repeat yeah. yourself right there's growth in yeah. that um and what i'm saying pizza sounds easy but it's really not mm-hmm. like, good pizza yeah. is hard to make um yeah but it is the quintessential you know or one of them uh beer pairings so how did you land on right. that and what did you want or what do you want that experience to be beer and pizza wise. Yeah. Well, yeah, for sure. So we're opening this tap room in, um, in an office park. I am parked here now. Um, I'm looking at out at a building that's, um, this is called the research triangle park and it's uh, a big tech center with a lot of campuses, uh, corporate campuses and not much to do. And the, the landlord of this entire property region, uh, research triangle foundation wanted to, create this place of, of retail for the first time ever in its 60 year history. And so this is called Boxyard. It's a shipping container project with about a dozen other um, uh, vendors, uh, some food and beverage and, and some retail. Um, and just kind of a fun side note, uh, this campus where I'm at uh, right now is where my mom, uh, who's no longer with us, used to uh, train when she worked at IBM. And I, I lived in suburban Philadelphia and she would come down and do her training here. So it's a neat full circle thing for me. That's nice. Uh, for sure. And um, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting extension of uh, what this place is and where it's, where it's going for sure. But it has some good grounded history for me. Um, but as for the box yard concept and what we're doing, um, it's, uh, you know, you're right about pizza. It can, it, it's, it's deceivingly uh, simple. It's sort of like Pilsner, right? You know, and the adage that it's like, it's hard to make a good Pilsner because you can expose so many different flaws. Right. And, uh, uh an easy way, uh, akin to IPA is to like take pizza and, and load it with a bunch of fun stuff. Right. And, uh, and, and, and de-emphasize its core essence of, of fermented dough and, and, uh, elegant toppings. And so, you know, of course, wood-fired pizza, and uh, Neapolitan pizza is, is prototypical example of that um, played out in, in simplicity and, and great ingredients. Um, and we are doing something a little bit different. We're doing a um, square pizzas that are uh, fluffy and sourdough based uh, with a 48 hour uh, uh, fermentation uh, using local grain and uh, topping with, um, with local ingredients uh, for, especially for like some of the, special things that we're doing. So we're sitting on a, a whole bunch of um, heirloom squash that um, my friend, Diane Flint of Foggy Ridge Cider in Dugsburg, Virginia, bequeathed me. We met up in Greensboro. Uh, her husband, Chuck, uh, actually loaded me up with all of this like delicious squash. And we're going to 
put that in a on a on a pizza with maybe some like local sage sausage and uh, uh you know maybe some goat cheese and that kind of thing but uh you know just appropriately done not over the top not too heavy um and the 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 crust is the same it's 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 not detroit it's not sicily it's somewhere in between um but but kind of fluffy and delicious in its own thing and i hope people like it we find out today we we serve our first pizzas uh here in just a few minutes um so it's it's really exciting <laughs> i'm gonna let you go and and uh and and take care of that in just a minute um before we started, uh, you told me that your job title is chief executive optimist and to sort of yeah. dust off a, a chestnut from uh, broadcast history past. Uh, um, what are you most optimistic about when it comes to beer these days? Um, that's a good question. Uh, it's hard to narrow it down to one thing just because I think fundamentally it's the um it, it's just it, it's why i got into it that, that beer is the beverage of the people and beer is that beverage that you think of in building community and um you know, we talk about like our our kind of mission is to connect people to the land and to one another and we we just happen to make beer Right. But I can't think of a better beverage to connect people to the land and to one another. I mean, beer is that beverage and it'll always be that beverage. And we can stress out about seltzers or, uh, you know, uh, variants of beer that may be delicious and may even eke into market share or whatever. But at the end of the day, like, I just want to have a beer with John. Like, I just want to hang out and have a beer and like, you know, we'll, we'll maybe we'll try out some, uh, some port or like, uh, you know, I might mix it up and try some vermouth. Uh, I do love vermouth. Uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm an equal opportunity imbiber, but I'm most optimistic about beer just being that beverage of the people. I mean, going way back into how I got my start, it was in working on the legislative change to lift the alcohol percentage on beer from six to 15%. Yep, and the, the reason, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, so long ago now, but the reason that law was put into place was that mill workers were worried that their workers would show up to work drunk on Mondays, right? So they wanted to limit the alcohol percent on beer. Now, wine wasn't restricted. Bourbon wasn't restricted because that was the beverage of the elite. But uh, here in the South, the uh, uh, beer and anywhere, is, is, it's, the, it's the beverage of the people. And um, I, I'm optimistic that we will remember that and uh, use that as a means to reunite and rekindle, especially in a time where we feel very fractured and, and apart from one another. So that's my optimistic answer. Well, I hope we can, I wanted to do this show in person and I'm sorry that we weren't able to, but it just makes me looking forward to the next time we can clink glasses in person. Um, Sean, thanks for, thanks for being on the show this week. Thanks for taking the time. I look, I look forward to that beer together. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, I really appreciate it. I do miss pints in person and hope to have the show back on the road soon enough. A lot of good memories in Durham, so it's on my list. Plus, I just heard about a new pizza spot I want to check out. 
where are you eating pizza and drinking beer these days? Let me know. I'm on email at John Hall. It's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L at beeredge.com. Or you can join along in the conversation on Twitter at John underscore Hall. As a reminder, Beer Edge is on social media at The Beer Edge. And if you love smoked beers, and of course you do, a reminder to check out the This Week in Ralk Beer group on Facebook or join along with all the smoked beer goodness on Twitter and Instagram at TWRalkBeer. If you're interested in advertising, please reach out to Liz Melby. She's at Liz at BeerEdge.com, and she'll let you know all the information about our surprisingly affordable rates. And speaking of that, this episode was made possible by the support of NZ Hops, which is a cooperative of master growers whose legend and cultivars have been crafted for over 150 years with creativity and passion to produce some of the world's finest hops. With a dedicated hop breeding program and farming knowledge handed down through the generations, the current day master growers proudly provide 18 unique New Zealand hop varieties to the world. Visit nzhops.co.nz or find them on Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn at nzhopsltd to learn more. We're also brought to you by Stomp Stickers. Stomp is a proud member of the Brewers Association that produces a wide variety of printed brewery products, such as beer labels, keg collars, coasters, beer boxes, and much more. Stomp's website features an easy-to-use design tool, low-quantity orders, fast turnaround times, and free domestic shipping. Visit stompstickers.com and use code DRINKBEER15 for 15% off your first order. One last reminder to go to beeredge.com to see all that we have going on and check out the Beer Edge podcast hosted by Andy Crouch. Steal This Beer has new episodes every Monday and the BYO Nano podcast drops on the 15th of every month. As for this show, well, Nate Weber, he does the music, Jeff Quinn designed the logo, and I'm John Hall. New episodes release every Wednesday, and that's when I'm going to be back again to drink beer and to think beer.